What's up, Dolphins fans? This is Kyle Krabs, your host here on Locked on Dolphins, and welcome to Victory Tuesday. The Dolphins are 8-7 and seven after a Monday night football victory, 20-3 over the New Orleans Saints. We're going to talk about everything that happened here on today's episode of Locked on Dolphins. Buckle in. We're staying in Club Dub for another week. You are Locked on Dolphins. Your daily Miami Dolphins podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Are you having fun yet? The Miami Dolphins, seven straight dubs, eight and seven, the AFC's number seven seed in the postseason entering into week 17. They did it. We have climbed all the way back out of this damn thing, and we're going to talk about what happened on Monday Night Football here on Locked on Dolphins. We are live on YouTube as well if you are watching live, and there's a bunch of you. Welcome to the party. It's great to have you. We're going to have a celebratory drink here for a Victory Tuesday coming up. Miami 20-3 to winners. I want to thank you guys for making Locked on Dolphins your first Miami Dolphins Listen of the day. A lot of great podcasts out there. Really cool to see everybody who stays engaged with the content that we are putting out. And speaking of content, the Dolphins themselves made some wonderful content for all of us. Not without making us sweat, right? Because the first half had a lot of self-inflicted wounds, um, some unforced errors, some questionable calls from the refereeing. Uh, about as miserable of a play-by-play as I've ever heard in my entire life. I thought uh, the the week one broadcast against New England was bad. Now, Brian Greasy, you know, the, the haters are weeping this evening or this morning. So just as you wake up for Tuesday, Victory Tuesday, just know the haters out there are the Patriots fans that are scoffing. Oh, the Dolphins are losers. They're pretenders. No, they're looking over their shoulders, right? They They see them in the standings, and they're right behind him. And, um, man, I am so stoked about the performance that this team put on display defensively. Obviously, we knew New Orleans was undermanned, right? So it's not a surprise when I get on here and I tell you guys that the Saints had 164 yards of offense. They had 12 possessions. They had 81 yards passing. Uh, I believe they were 0 for 13 on third down for the game. 0 for 12, 0 for 13. Uh, They averaged 3.2 yards per play. 2.9 yards per pass attempt, two interceptions thrown, Brandon Jones with a pick, Nick Needham with a pick that got the Dolphins on the board early. Felt very much like a 2020 Dolphins game. Think about the Jets game last year. The the 21 to nothing or 24 to nothing, whatever it was. It felt like that game. Uh, With the opposite being Miami didn't get so far out in front early on, and they kind of had the lull where, We had some brutal uh, bounces of the ball. Miles Gaskin on second down, very clearly getting a first down by like a full yard and then marking him a yard short. And the Dolphins not challenging it and then sending Jacoby Brissett out there. And I saw a lot of questions on the timeline. What was the idea behind the Jacoby Brissett package there? And I get it. There's a book on the Jacoby Brissett package of plays and that they're going to go in goal line defense, and they're going to run all these extra defensive linemen out there. They're going to load up and try and play heavy. So you want to go with a tendency breaker and manipulate the defensive personnel to get a matchup that you like and get the leak out in the flat and an easy completion. The Saints covered it. 
right? And unfortunately, Jacoby just wasn't quite athletic enough to make a play. So I get the thought process there, but you shouldn't have been in that spot because you quite frankly should have challenged the second and one spot, the third and one spot that was very clearly a first down. Um, the offensive line, uh, first of all, I understand Liam Eikenberg didn't block Marcus Davenport particularly well, but when he hardly touches him and you still call it holding, I have some questions. And um, Miami for the game finished seven penalties for 65 yards. Uh, uncharacteristically high penalized game for them. Michael Dieter gets flagged for a hold. Uh, Austin Jackson gets flagged for a hold. And his, his punch placement was wide, so I don't blame the Austin Jackson one. The Michael Dieter one, there was you know, they had double A gaps, and they, they were, had a free runner and a free hitter, and you're protecting your quarterback, so I get it. The one on Liam, and that was a big one, that one was brutal. Uh, absolutely brutal. And then you had a, a turnover down in the red zone or a near turnover down in the red zone, excuse me, that, that quite nearly cost you points. Uh, we had a missed kick from Jason Sanders, and that was extra, ex, exponentially made more difficult by the Dolphins taking on a sack uh, to push them way back for a 58-59 yard attempt versus something that could have been a much more makeable kick. But Jason's missed even the more makeable kick before this season. So uh, here we got a bunch, bunch of comments going off and uh, AD with a great comment. And I agree with this, you know, we're going to get on here and we're going to have fun and I'm going to make the, the whiskey video this week and I'm going to do something else fun and uh, enjoy the win, right? Because winning's hard and losing's even harder. And for the Dolphins to win seven in a row, they are officially now the first team in NFL history to have a seven-game losing streak and a seven-game winning streak in the same season. So, AD, there's a lot of people that are going to feel this way, happy about the win but concerned about the offense. Yeah. This roster's flawed, and we know that, right? We've known the offensive line was a problem. We knew Jesse Davis was a liability going all the way back to before the season started. We were hoping and praying that Jesse Davis wasn't going to be one of your best five starting offensive linemen. He is. You're not going to get help. And, and I don't think you're going to be able to play a lot of musical chairs with the offensive line to amend that and get him out of the picture. I just don't think it's going to happen. So, yes, uh, you would have liked to have seen Miami have a little bit more offensive success than 259 yards of offense and 4.4 yards per play. Uh, and having 2.9 yards per rush against the Saints, uh, who were undermanned, all of their starting linebackers, effectively, uh, their starting safeties, that hurt. Um, but at the same time, as I said, this felt like a 2020 Dolphins game in which it felt like the coaching staff knew going in what the game script was going to look like. They kind of, it felt like they had, kind of a grasp on how well they could bottle New Orleans. And they called the game that was according to that. And I know we don't like that all the time, and I know that was frustrating for me tonight, and I'm sure it was frustrating for a lot of you guys too. Uh, but it felt like they took – they had big play opportunities. You had a cover one shot down the sideline to Mac Hollins that you hit. You had Tua missing some throws over the middle, and it kind of felt like, okay, like he really isn't in rhythm. We don't want to give them short fields unnecessarily until they press us into having to play more aggressive. And 
It can't always be that way. I think we all know that. Um, and it's been a frustrating part of the way this coaching staff has coached this team for since they got here. They coach games to specific scripts based on what they believe the game script is going to be. And I think if you had to be more aggressive, you probably could have gotten more aggressive, but they're looking at the holding penalties. They're looking at Tua. He missed that. It was Tampa 2. He tried to take the seam shot. That was the throw. If you go back to the Raiders game last year, he didn't throw. He didn't throw the divide route up over top of the Mike linebacker that's turning and running to, to robot and hunting up. So he tried to get that ball up and over. And I understand Waddle was coming underneath of it. And he was open. And it was third and nine. And you would have had a completion for a first down. I get it. But I don't mind the thought process of, hey, it's middle of the field open because they're going split safeties. And I got Mac Collins on a linebacker trying to turn and run with him. Let me try and get it up over the top. That's fine. But then as he's stepping up in the pocket, he missed the throw by about seven yards. And once that happened, it was kind of like, yeah, okay, like we'll get more calculated. Then I thought they did a really nice job. A, first of all, A-plus effort by two on the throw to Matt Collins to drop that in the bucket. I love the play call for the flea flicker, and Jalen Waddle sold that route beautifully. So there were some nice things compartmentally for the offense. But, yeah, I mean, it, it, they held this one close to the vest tonight. And I think we all, you know, they, they jumped up with a defensive touchdown early on. And how many times did this happen last year? It's kind of just the way they operate. And there's going to be times where it's going to bite them in the butt. Bit them in the butt against the Raiders this year. Bit them in the butt against the Jaguars this year. But law of averages, and that's why I don't buy people saying, oh, the Dolphins got so lucky playing the Saints with all these players not available. Yeah, we were definitely lucky to play five games without our starting quarterback this season. Sure. How are you guys feeling? Bunch of you guys in here. This is uh, as many people as I've had in the stream simultaneously. So clubbed up. I guess I dropped the ball. We should have called the stream tonight clubbed up. Uh, but everybody climbing into club dub with the Dolphins, climbing into playoff picture. And this past weekend was about as beautiful of a week as I can remember in December for the Miami Dolphins because it extends beyond just winning the game. Right. There's big picture things that are at play here. Miami's in a playoff spot. Right. And ESPN put the graphic up. And of the seven, eight, nine, and 10 seeds in the AFC right now, the Chargers are the best team to have an opportunity to win their last two games. And it's only 33%. So Miami right now, yeah, they are in control of their own destiny. You win your next two games, you're going to be in. No questions asked. And if the Titans don't have Derrick Henry, I reasonably like the opportunity and matchup that's going to be there. Jeffrey Simmons is a hell of a player and a hell of a talent on the defensive line for the, for the Titans. But your three best offensive linemen, or I guess I should say your two best offensive linemen, because Austin Jackson was back to being bad Austin Jackson instead of the good Austin Jackson he was last week against the Jets, are your center and your right guard. And... Um, if the Titans don't have Derrick Henry, you know, if you've got to bottle Donta Foreman, it's a little bit of a different vibe than trying to bottle Derrick Henry. Their tight ends are no longer so much of a problem. Julio Jones just got put on the reserve COVID-19 list, as did Bud Dupree and Nick Westbrook, who was another one of their wide receivers. So we'll see what their availability looks like. You know, it's early in the week, so they probably feel pretty optimistic that those guys are going to be at, going to be back. 
But Ryan Tannehill has historically, ever since he's played in Miami, Lord knows that, not played defenses that play like Miami's does particularly well. So I look at this upcoming week against Tennessee, and I think there's opportunities here to continue to heat them up. I don't expect them to hold Ryan Tannehill to 164 yards of offense uh, and go over on third downs like the Saints did. I certainly don't expect that. But I think they've got a chance to really get after the Titans. And this team is coming in with a lot of momentum. This was the Jets game and then the Saints game. With the conditions around the Saints game, I love the fact that this team didn't take the cheese, right? And with only two weeks left, it's going to be really easy to buy into one week at a time, which is the mantra that they have been preaching to this football team. One week at a time. You only got two weeks left. Focus on the task at hand. You got a short week. Tennessee's process has been interrupted uh, because they've got a couple of guys on the COVID list. We'll see uh, how that holds up over time. Edgar, living his best life here. Appreciate how dedicated everyone is to analyzing this one, but I'm so drunk. Everyone sounds like the Charlie Brown teachers. I love it. Wow, 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 wow. Chris, Kyle, how important was Waddle tonight? Without him, we may not score. Um, yeah, Waddle's been everything you would have hoped he possibly could be. Uh, he's within, probably against Tennessee, he's going to set the rookie reception record for NFL history. Uh, tonight, he, or Monday night, I guess for those of you listening on the podcast, on Tuesday, he broke Chris Chambers's franchise record for most receiving yards by a rookie. He's going to, provided he stays healthy, go up over a 1,000 yards receiving. And the chemistry that he has with Tua is really impressive. And it's also the fact that it's like he's stemming routes at 8 to 10 yards of depth, and they all look exactly the same. And if you go back and you watch the highlight package that they put on for Waddle when they shouted him out for having 10 receptions on Monday Night Football, which is tied for the most in Monday Night Football history by any rookie receiver with Jerry Rice. And they showed all the routes that he ran. And the stem for all of them looked exactly the same. And then there's an in-breaking or an outbreaking sale route. And then he's running the skinny post. And he's turning guys inside out. Waddle's been phenomenal, and I love that for him, and, and I love that as somebody who really championed him. I love seeing guys that that I have a vision for on how they would work actually working. So now I guess I, I got to really dedicate myself to some offensive linemen and free agency uh, and pro personnel because I am all the way in on bringing established NFL talent in. Uh, Tom, of course, everybody's going to want to talk about two a little bit. Tua needs to shorten the time it takes him to settle in. Too few many overthrows early on. Confidence is key. I agree. Um, I thought Tua, once he threw the pick and kind of the exhale came, he made some really nice throws. Uh, I know he was efficient early on. I think at one point he was 14 of 16 uh, before he threw the interception. Uh, but And they were very much coaching around the disadvantage that they had it with the pass rushers because the one thing New Orleans did have was their two game records in Cam Jordan 
and Marcus Davenport up front. And Ayumet is no slouch either. Um, so they were coaching around that talent deficiency in the front. And if New Orleans has Demario Davis and they have Malcolm Jenkins and they have Taysom Hill and they have Teron Armstead, who was not on COVID but did not play with an injury, and they have Ryan Ramchek, does it look different? Maybe. But I don't care. I do not care, guys. Dubs are all the same. But as far as Tua goes, uh, I, I thought the crosser on the opening possession was a frustrating miss. And I understand he had a, a free runner coming at him and he tried to throw around them. There were a couple of throws that I think his height showed up in trying to throw around bodies at the line of scrimmage. Uh, the slant route that he tried to throw to Gaskin when they went empty down inside the 30 yard line uh, late in the game. And he threw a ball that, that Gaskin had to go up high for uh, to make an adjustment on the ball and ended up getting cleaned by Pete Werner on the play. He had to throw that body up over the top of a defensive tackle. When you're six foot, you got to get a little bit more arc up over top of it. And I thought that was something that showed up on the first miss on the crosser when they tried to run mesh across the middle and they had Gaskin with the free runners. He dropped the arm angle down to try and throw around him and he laced it two out and far out in front of him and he missed it. So over the middle of the field in the short and intermediate areas, is tough when you're a shorter quarterback. You see that with Russ Wilson. You see that with Kyler Murray. Like, that's a thing that exists, and two is not immune to that. Um, so then his response to that in time was to try to climb the pocket, right? And then he had the fumble, the strip sack, uh, which he tried to throw in muddy waters, and I think he's got to be really careful with that because that's been an area that's he's put ball security at risk a, a couple of times throughout the course of the season. Um, but after the interception, he kind of really settled in and the, the money throw and he got popped on the money throw to Mac Collins, which was a beautiful ball. Uh, the placement was good on the flea flicker to waddle to allow him to open his strides and get some yak. Um, I thought this was probably a, a C plus B minus game from two. I know we're all still waiting for that game in which he absolutely takes over. Um, they didn't ask him to get too exotic. And when they did, you know, he took an aggressive shot and, and passed up on a shorter route and they paid for it with a turnover. But then he bounced back and it's the same thing he did against the Jets. Now we just need to get rid of some of the misfires where he's either climbing the pocket and trying to throw on the move or he's trying to work the throw up over top of guys that are in his face immediately for targets that are further downfield and figure out how to negotiate those situations a little bit better. I think that's something he will uh, continue to work on. Indeed, here's one for you, um, because we just did a big update over at the Draft Network. Of course, uh, I'm the director of scouting over there. And uh, this week, we're releasing our updated top 100 for, for prospects in the NFL Draft. And Jamison Williams absolutely fits to his style of receiver. But unless San Francisco loses their last two games and suddenly ends up with like a top 15 pick, I don't think he's going to be in that strike zone for Miami. I would not be surprised if Jamison Williams is the first wide receiver off the board and potentially a top 15 pick. Uh, he landed there for us in our big board update. Uh, so he's he's phenomenal talent and just a crazy testament to the talent that Ohio State had had that he left, transferred out of Ohio State to go to Alabama. Felipe. I really need to see more Holland's play. seems like he gets so few looks every time he does. It's money. So 
this is what's what I enjoyed about Matt Collins. Um, him coming out of North Carolina. This was exactly the play that he had in, ten, in the game against the Saints is exactly the play that he made every single week during his tenure at North Carolina. He was a 4-5, big-bodied, vertical receiver running down the field, and it's really translated to special teams. That's why he's so good as a gunner and getting off press coverage, and he stacks guys and gets on top of them and covers kicks really well. So he logically makes a good vertical receiver in that regard because of the direct one-for-one crossover that you get with playing on special teams and being a gunner. Uh, But he was really efficient at that in North Carolina. And uh, he has really done a nice job of finding a niche role. And I know we were all uh, upset that he was named a team captain as compared to two at the beginning of the season, but I think he's earned it. And like, I'm ready to give that dude, you, you want a five-year contract done and give you two and a half, three million a season. I think he's making one and a half this year. Um, That's the kind of guy he can play for my football team, my proverbial football team any day of the week and twice on Sundays. He has been excellent. And Matt Collins has very quickly become one of my favorite players on the Dolphins, regardless of how big of an impact they have on the game uh, on the in the box score on a week-to-week basis. BetOnline has you covered this holiday season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before as football season continues its march through the college bowls and the pro, into the pro football playoffs. BetOnline is your number one spot for all of the sports action this season and every season, head to the website or use your mobile device to sign with the day and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit using promo code Locked On from basketball, football, NHL, boxing, UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. So don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing new offers. Bet online where the game starts. Which one of you guys shouted out uh, here? Love the resilience of this team. Shout out to Christian Wilkins for getting Kamara in his feelings. I refuse. Here's the thing. I refuse to say anything ill will to Alvin Kamara because he's a Draft Dudes podcast alumni, the NFL Draft podcast that I do with Joe Marino for the Draft Network. And he was super gracious with his time. He was super cool, super engaging. Um, So I love Alvin personally. He's one of my favorite players in the league too, but Wilkins got him. Wilkins absolutely got him. And he does this every week. I don't know if you guys realize the rivalry that kind of exists with like him and uh, Billy Price too. But when Billy Price was in Cincinnati, like Wilkins dogged that dude hard. And you know where Billy Price plays now? The New York Giants. You know who the Dolphins played a couple weeks ago? The New York Giants. And he was mic'd up for that game. And he got after Billy Price again. So Christian is absolutely that dude, a total instigator. He's that guy that if he's on your team, you love him. And if he's not on your team, you probably hate the dude because you're like, if you're a a fan of somebody else and you just kind of casually observe the Dolphins because you see him and then you look at Wilkins in the box, you're like, oh, this guy's mid, like, and he talks all the time. What a pain in the ass. What a punk. Nah, man, that's. Christian has a, a very specific role to fill, and he's got the gift of gab and stealing that towel from Kamara. He absolutely lit him up. So uh, I loved seeing him finally get after somebody because there's been a couple of times where, like, he's been dogging dudes after the play, 
and they kind of nudge him a little bit. He gives the big stumble, and he never gets the call. Well, he got the call on Alvin because he he got under <laughs> under Alvin's skin so much that he had to run out there and bop him back on the head. William. Chris Greer needs to be on the phone with Agba's agent tonight working on an extension. Yeah, you know, there were a number of pass rushers that I thought played excellent games tonight. I, I think about Andrew Van Ginkle. Uh, pass tipping the pass at the line of scrimmage that led to the first interception, the uh, return uh, by Nick Nino for the touchdown. You know, he nearly missed an, uh, an interception of his own. Uh, he had good pressure, kind of screaming off the edge. Jerome Baker was phenomenal. Again, you know, don't look now, but like Baker, Baker as a pass rusher is really heating up. Uh, he had two sacks last week against the Jets, a sack and a half tonight and it has been an absolute stud in the last couple of weeks in that regard and he's really turned it on by its start to the season and, and i'm happy for baker in that regard because I, I really appreciate his game and his style of play uh the rookies were quiet relative to their own standards based on the win streak uh, holland didn't really get his hands on the ball i thought he filled in the run game really well had a couple of really nice tackles uh, Jalen Phillips quite nearly had a sack. Uh, I thought he had good range and presence, uh, but he didn't get into the stat sheet for a, from a sack perspective, but he was very close. Uh, and then Christian Wilkins, again, you know, Christian led the team in tackles. He had eight total tackles in this contest uh, and a half a sack. Zach Sealer, man possessed as well. How about Brandon Jones? Uh, sack, tackle for loss, interception. Just an all-around defensive effort. Everything that you hoped it could possibly be, it was. And um, from here, the Dolphins are going to have Titans next week. We're going to have a great week on the podcast. I can guarantee you that. We're going to get Joe Rose back uh, in the fray this week as well. Uh, but I wanted to make sure that we had a chance to talk quickly after the seventh straight win for the Dolphins because I know I'm juiced. I don't care about the context of who New Orleans did and didn't have. Seven straight wins and being in a playoff spot entering Week 17 is just totally surreal. And I love the fact that this team had the resiliency to bounce back. We left them for dead. I left them for dead. Still hanging in. And we're going to make it really interesting because like we've talked about a little bit today, there's some matchup opportunities against Tennessee that I think Miami will have the opportunity to exploit. But for now, Club Dub, we are here yet again. Seventh straight week, eighth, if you include the bye, uh, that we are enjoying the services of Club Dub. I hope you guys enjoy uh, your stay for yet another week. Make sure you hit subscribe on Locked On Dolphins and stay plugged in on all of your team needs, your team every day here on the Locked On Network. Make sure if you are watching on the live stream, you guys like the video, hit subscribe to the channel. We got power to the pod this week, which means you're going to have a chance to marinate over this win a little bit, bring your questions to the table, and we're going to answer them. Uh, and then we're going to shift our focus to Tennessee and start talking about how Miami can make it eight straight wins in a row, which would set the table for a win and in scenario at home against the Patriots in week 18, which 
it's going to get real fun. It's going to get real fun as if it hasn't already been fun. I don't know about you guys as I'm signing off and um, had a little bit more butterflies this time around. You know, the the win streak up until this point was kind of like it was cute and fun and like you really didn't feel like you had anything to lose. And now all of a sudden you've been detached from like playing for high stakes for about three months and we're back in that saddle. I butterflies going into the game last night. And, and I hope you know, this young team for Miami, just remember the job's not finished. You're, you got two games to go. And us as fans, we could talk our talk. We can enjoy this uh, and enjoy the ride. But there's stakes at play now. And we're, we're playing for keeps. And this is the first step. A primetime road win is the first step for this team proving that it is indeed different than all of those other Dolphins teams in the last 15 years that were close, but no cigar. And speaking of cigar, I'm going to go light one up. Victory Tuesday incoming. Thanks, as always, for checking out Locked on Dolphins. Hope you guys enjoyed. Make it a good one. Fins up and keep it locked in right here on Locked on Dolphins.